morning, everybody. A couple things um, before we look at our scripture today. We have, I don't know when we're going to start announcing that, except we, I guess we'll do it today. Um, we are going to do a pre-recorded Christmas Eve service. Um, I don't like that, but it's too crowded, um, and we'd have to have about 10 services to get it down to where we could distance and all that. So at any rate, um, it's just part of what we're dealing with um, these days. So <clears throat> we'll give you more details on uh, what, we're, what all we're going to do with that. We want to do something interactive with the kids, and I, I stand here and say we're going to do an interactive thing. I have no idea what that even means, but we're going to do it. Um, so at any rate, we'll keep you up on what's going on. Second thing, um, <clears throat> I need some help. Um, don't know exactly what I'm doing but um, or going to be doing, but if you could... Um, well, let me back up. Larry and Shirley Dillinger, I think a lot of us know them, were involved in an accident, and um, she broke both wrists, sticking her hands out, and then the, the airbag. Um, and so she's going to be in um, Legacy for, we hope, about three weeks, give her time to get um, back a bit. But at any rate... Um, part of releasing her from the hospital, they want, uh, I, I, we need to build a ramp for her, so, um, for a walker and all that. So if you can, if you think you can help, I don't even know we're, when we're going to do it, but um, we've got, this week's not too bad weather-wise, and there's not too bad uh, the following week. Um, if you can possibly help, even though you don't know what day we're going to try to do it, and I don't know what day we're going to try to do it, give me your name, get, you know, get it off an offer, write it on the offering um, envelope or something. Just give me your name, your phone number, and then we can round people up and try to figure out when we can do something. It shouldn't be huge. Um, we'll probably knock it out in an afternoon or something. So at any rate... Um, let me know if you can help, help me on that. Today I want to finish um, looking at the Lord's Prayer. Model prayer for us does not mean that we must uh, verbally repeat that prayer every single day. Wouldn't, it doesn't hurt to occasionally do that, but it does mean that the, the whole disposition behind it and the subjects, the principles that are involved in it need to be always present whenever we pray. And there are, I think the best way to look at it is there are six petitions, three that are to God regarding His kingdom, His will, and so forth. And today I want to look at the remaining three, four, five, and six, which are directed to ourselves. We are requesting God to do some things for us. And in, in that prayer, in Matthew 6, 
we'll go ahead and just read the uh, prayer itself, beginning in verse 9. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's petition 1. Your kingdom come, petition 2. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the third. Now here's the fourth, fifth, and sixth. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, <clears throat> there are, I think three, these three um, petitions we can label this way. It's a prayer for provision, for pardon, for protection. The first one, give us our daily bread. Now, I know that this assumes daily grace and daily spiritual food. However, I think it is maybe, if you'll understand this word, it comes out of Proverbs, it's almost overly righteous to say that this primarily means spiritual food. No, it means what Jesus said. Because my temporal needs are granted to me by the Lord just as my spiritual needs are. In earlier in this chapter, he talks about seeking the kingdom of God rather than what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, he said, seek the kingdom of God. These things will be added unto you, for your Father knows you have all these needs. He knows you need clothing. He knows we need food. He knows we need shelter. And as our day changes, He knows, he knows you need transportation. Um, maybe back then you, they prayed for a donkey, uh, traded in a, a worn-out donkey, um, now, that won't do. He understands all that. He knows I need transportation. He knows everything temporally that I need. The best illustration for this prayer is the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel after they were brought out of Egypt. God gave them manna, bread from heaven. He gave them enough for one day. It cannot be that Jesus' prayer here and his words aren't linked to that. Give us this day the bread that we need for the day. The, really, the Israelites lived far, far, far closer to the edge than any of us even have any concept. There are plenty of people in the world who do. But they went to bed every night with nothing to eat for breakfast. Every single day. They consumed what they... Now, I suppose they could have, you know, butchered one of their calves or whatever. But as far as the daily ration that God knew they need needed. They didn't have it when they went to bed at night. They trusted that when they got up in the morning, lying on the dew would be manna. 
this little round seed-like coriander seed-looking bread. So when Jesus said, give us our daily bread, there's a lot here. There's one fundamental principle that I think we have to remember, no matter, it seems, no matter how much religion we might have, how much love for God we really have, how much we want to follow God, we tend to drift from close dependence on God. And when we have a supply that is sufficient, we think, for however... I've had people, I remember a person telling me um, years ago in our congregation, it wasn't, this was a good person. Good person, spiritually. Sold a business, and it was 20 years ago. Sold a business and made this statement, we're set for life. Well, now, she, you know, is she and he who told me that lost souls? Because, no. It's just natural. We're, we're set for life. We don't have any financial worries the rest of our days. Well, we have to remember this. Proverbs says, don't put your trust in riches if they do increase, because they have a tendency, it says, to take wings and fly away. Okay? So, nobody's set. But it is a non, I think non-spiritual, unless you start putting your trust in it, but it's a common, ordinary thought to think. We have laid up enough. Every one of us, well, you who are getting old, are working on retirement. And everybody has a, um, some kind of a you know, mysterious goal. If we have X amount, then we can retire, we can draw off of that. No, that's not s- sinful. That's not failing to trust in God. But the normal um, flow of our thinking is to begin to depend on that and not on Him. It's just a natural thing. God has provided a hedge for that by giving us just enough. Giving us what we need, but he said, give us our daily bread. It acknowledges the constant, close, continuous dependence on God to supply my needs. When we then pray we're recognizing that total dependence when we say lord give us you you know the day i don't know what we'll face but lord give us our daily bread the basis for this kind of um dependence that's one of the reasons uh, i think there are two reasons why it's right to as we put it say grace before our meals we're acknowledging God gave me this. God, now, did he cook it? No. But Moses said, it is God who gives you the power to even get wealth. He's the one who gives you the energy to be able to earn your living. So it is right that whatever God grants to me, it's right 
to bow our heads and thank, I thank you for this food. Secondly, Jesus set an example for us when he fed the 5,000 and fed the 4,000. He bowed his head and blessed the bread. It's, it's, it is part of a Christian's life to be thankful for what God gave me, acknowledging my dependence and acknowledging that absolutely everything, eternal, spiritual, or temporal, comes from God. Now, I'm just reminded, um, I saw a person in the audience this morning connected with Ice Cream Cafe. Um, the rule when I was a little kid that us, we all set was, you only have to pray over hot food. You know what I mean? I don't know what that says about sandwiches. Uh, I guess I don't really pray over ice cream. Um, maybe I should. Or pray that it doesn't clog up my arteries. I don't know. But there's the general sense, everything I get, God gave me. Thank you, Lord, for supplying my needs. Pardon is the second and more important, really, I don't mean that in the wrong way, but it's a, it's a deeper issue. Because we have this prayer Jesus said, you pray, verse 12, forgive us our debts. Now, this I'm reading from the New American Standard. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, that's a good, that's a good translation. The... Other, uh, other versions may not be quite as clear. It's, it might seem that I will forgive them I, uh, if it comes up. This is having forgiven debtors to me, I ask you to forgive my debts. Now, what are we talking about here? We need to spend a little more time here. The word... Here is debt, has to do with, uh, you know, a legal or a, even a financial debt. Now, obviously, it's in the context of spiritual, so it doesn't mean, you know, I owe, you know, somebody 50 bucks, please forgive me. But it also, in Luke's parallel to the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer that's listed in Luke 11, there, it's a different word. It's the word hamartia, and hamartia is sin. To miss the mark is the actual word. Forgive me. Now, here's where we have to be very clear, and we have to be very um, distinguishing between different terms. Forgive us our missings of the mark. Okay, that's the broad word that's used in the New Testament for sin. But it is critically important that we understand what does he mean by missing the mark. Let me tell you first what he can't be meaning. He cannot be referring in any sense on a regular basis, as he, this is a daily prayer, he is not referring to willful, deliberate disobedience, rebellion. Now, if there's a case of that in our lives, 
obviously, we pray and we ask forgiveness. But that's better covered in 1 John 2.1. I pray, he said, for you, that you do not, and this is the best translation, I pray that you do not commit a sin. That's what John said, I pray. The Holy Spirit told him to say that. I pray that you do not commit a sin. But if anyone does commit a sin, not a wild-eyed practice of it, a sin, he said, we have a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he'll plead our case as we, he said, confess our sins and then he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Okay? Is Jesus talking about that kind of sin here? No. How do I know that? Jesus himself told people. And the best illustration is the guy that was 38 years laying by the pool of Bethesda waiting to be healed. 38 years, that's a long wait. Couldn't walk. Jesus touched him, took him by the hand, stood up. He could now walk. He said, roll up your bed, your pallet, your sleeping bag, and go your way. And then he said this. Remember, the guy had been there 38 years. That's a long time to be hoping and waiting. And He said, go and do not sin anymore or something worse will come on you. Worse than lying here for 38 years. John, again, said, I pray that you do not commit a sin. All through 1 John 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. He keeps hitting this. We know that those who are born of God do not keep on sinning. Okay? So, it is, especially if, if you're a preacher and you should know better, it is theologically criminal not to make a sharp distinction between willful, deliberate disobedience of the known will of God and involuntary, absent-minded, shortcomings, failures, run-of-the-mill stupidity. It is biblically Criminal not to distinguish there. Very few seem to do that. So what do we have? Well, we send words out need every day. Send words out need every day. Send words out need It's about the only thing they know. Send words out need every day. Listen. And by that they mean we're all wretches. And when they say sin, yeah, we're just wallowing in sin. Listen. Go and sin no more or something worse will come on you. He meant it. And when the Holy Spirit told John, you pray. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, by the way. I pray that you do no evil, none at all. Well, we sin, we're talking every day. You better stop that. Get rid of that phrase. Yet, you might say, well, then why does Jesus say, forgive us our sins every day? 
because he's not talking about willful rebellion, but he is talking about the failings, the shortcomings that all Christians will never escape due to simple human frailty, failure, and so forth. Those do not incur guilt unless and until they are revealed to me and I do nothing about it. If I discover, all of us, I think, have discovered that someone felt we hurt their feelings. We didn't have any idea we did. But it may come to us. Or there's times when the Holy Spirit will just kind of remind us. You spoke sharply there. Call them. Clear that up. If I don't, then what is that? The refusal to follow that little reminder of the Holy Spirit is willful transgression of the known will of God. That goes into the other category. Now you're in trouble. Does that make sense? If we don't make that distinction, we're a mess. We're a biblical, ethical mess. We have to make and keep that distinction. And part, part of, let me give you a scripture and then I've got to pay attention to my time here. Another scripture, Hebrews 3, speaks of the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. What does it say that it does? It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions and the motivations of our heart. But it also says, describing using an illustration, it says it's like a sharp knife that separates between joint and marrow. It's talking about butchering. It's talking about um, butchering an animal. And the sharp knife that distinguishes being between bone, muscle, so forth. The Word of God is like that spiritually. But the words, it says, it divides asunder between soul and spirit. Those are critical words. What does that mean? The one word, soul, is psuche, from which we get psyche, psychology. The other one is pneuma, spirit, the breath of God in me when I'm a Christian. So in other words, there are conditions, qualities, acts, thoughts, and so forth that are spiritual in origin and others are psyche-originated. Personality, temperament. That is a fertile source. Our personalities are, listen, our level of intelligence. There are, and understand me, I've never pastored anybody like this, but there are people who don't have that um, much blood flowing above their neck. Okay? You can get to heaven that way. You can get to heaven being rather dull, not too bright. 
not playing with a full deck. Elevator doesn't go to the top floor. All of those, you can get to heaven like that because God's looking at your heart. But you're not going to get to heaven with a dark heart. It is critically important then that I know about myself. Where's this attitude? Where did that act? Where did that come from? Did it arise out of a polluted heart? Or is it because I'm nuts? Okay? It's because I forgot. It's like, well, all of us, all of us know, I hope that we practice it. All of us will fail at a lot of things, falter at a lot of things, forget things, whatever. What do we do when we do that? If I'm, listen, I've bumped into people in the hallway. What do I say? I turn and I bump into them. What do I say? I don't say I'm sorry or pardon me because I didn't mean it. No. We say, pardon me. Oh, I'm sorry. We recognize that an act, even if it was involuntary but hurtful, requires some kind of atonement. Does that make sense? That's why we say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. We're using the word forgive in a different way than I stabbed you in the neck. Forgive me. <laughs> Is that different? Anybody here? The, the elevator does go high enough that you can figure out there's a difference. In both cases, we're to say, forgive me. Now, when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, as we forgive or have already forgiven those who are indebted to us, he is talking about the daily um, flaws that we all have. Um, there are several words that are used in the New Testament that are interesting. Peter said that we're to love one another as Christians, and he said, love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, is he talking about sins in the terms love covers selling drugs through the chain link fence at the playground? No. He's talking about failures, shortcomings. Faults, the kind of stuff where you think, you know, it kind of rubs me in the wrong way. <laughs> but you just say, do you know what the word cover means? Love covers the multitude of sin. It literally means to stretch, like elastic. We have to be elastic towards others whose personalities, their temperaments, just the way they are, might be kind of obnoxious to us. We have to remember, as we're praying, Lord, help me overlook things and, and put up with it. Paul used the word forbear, which literally means put up with. 
Remember, as we are praying, dear God, help me have the grace to overlook the obnoxiousness of that person. They are on their knees begging God for grace to put up with me. Okay? Don't forget that. But once again, we are not talking about sin, sin. We're talking about the failings, shortcomings that we'll all exhibit as long as we are in a limited fallen world and body, brain, temperament, so forth. So, God pictures, even involuntary failings, as a debt. Okay? Jesus uses this in other places. It's, it's a debt to us. Matthew 18, when the, you, the one man begs the king to forgive him 10,000 talents, which is an unspeakable sum, and goes out and chokes his friend because he owes him 100 pennies and can't pay him back. That is his illustration, but once again, of debt. The concept is, I am indebted. I'm indebted to God. Now, why is there even the concept of a debt? Forget willful sins. That's an easy one to figure out why there's a debt. But when you get into the road to be seated and you have to walk past somebody and you step on their toes, you didn't do that on purpose. Now, if you did, that's another issue. But you say, pardon me, there is an involuntarily contracted debt to God when we fall short of His perfection. Now, He doesn't hold me guilty in the sense of against my uh, eternity and hold me guilty of uh, belligerent, as the Old Testament says, high-handed sin against God. But there nevertheless is a debt. I fell short of what God re would require of me perfectly. Okay? I fell short. He saw it. He always sees everything. What does he do with it? It's a debt. And in a sense, it is a debt to God's justice. This is the requirement. You failed it. Now the why is critical to God. And he wants it to be critical to us towards each other, towards every one of us and our fellows we are indebted to the Lord and His system of perfection and justice. When I say, forgive my trespasses, forgive my debts as I forgive others, I want this thought to get a hold of us because I, I think it's, it helps us. I, I don't get rid of my debt to God. I transfer it. Let me explain what I mean. My debt is owed to God's justice. But when I say, forgive my debts, He does. But the debt is shifted from owing it to God's justice to now I owe His mercy, His grace, His kindness. Because he said, I, I overlook it. I'll forgive it. I'll forgive your debt. 
But now I owe his mercy. I have a debt, not a hovering, crushing kind of a debt. It's a glad debt. But I owe his mercy, his grace. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to fear thy name. That old hymn has an interesting statement in it that is exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. So I always am indebted to God. But it shifts from his system of justice to his grace and his mercy. And I am all my days then obligated not a crushing obligation, a glad one. But it is a debt to God, you've been so good to me. You've been so good to me. You've, you have pardoned my iniquities. You've cleansed my heart from sin. And you have overlooked my faults and graciously kept me. I owe you everything. I owe you everything. So we're always indebted to God. Just make sure it's not to His justice. Make sure it's to His grace and mercy. Does that make sense? Now, pardon then, has, it goes two ways. It's not only asking God for pardon, but it is also extending the same kind of grace to my fellow travelers to my fellows in my world now God overlooks he told Israel said I blotted out your messes like like a huge cloud if he does that for us he expects us to do it for each other and he expects us then we're in God's image and behaving like we're made in his image when we behave like God in extending grace and forgiveness to others who are indebted to us. They've harmed us some way, but we're to, we're to forgive them. Now, what's involved in all that? Involved in that is, and I don't want to get in the weeds too far, but I think we have to look at this. Let's, you know, imagine, I don't whoever, pick somebody out in the audience, it could be me, that drives you nuts. And you feel, you know what, they've harmed me, they said this, they did that, they whatever. First of all, when I'm indebted to God, and God makes it clear to me that I'm indebted, you're, I'm indebted, you, you failed here, he's unerringly right. He's always right. No, no point in arguing with him. Well, I didn't. Hey, if he said you're wrong, you're wrong. But it's not that way between us. I may feel so-and-so hurt my feelings, so-and-so harmed me some way, so-and-so, quote, sinned against me. I might not be right. 
different than God, who's never wrong, I stand a really good chance of being wrong. They didn't. I thought they did, but they didn't even know it. They didn't mean it. So there is a, what I want to say is this, the indebtedness we may feel that others have to us for what they may have done for us, we need to be extremely careful in how we define that. First of all, if every little thing upsets you, something's wrong with you. You're drinking of the Kool-Aid of this age where everyone, everyone is a victim. Everyone is offended. And everyone is looking for some reason that they can happily count themselves as being offended. Okay? Those kind of people drive me crazy. And I, I wish I didn't have to forgive them. <laughs> I'll try. Um, so we have to be careful. We need to doubt our own judgment in the sense that so-and-so, they, they, they shot a little dart at me. There was a snarky little remark there. Ah, get over it. First of all, you're probably wrong. Second, so what? So what? Since you're supposed to say things three times in a sermon, so what? So what? There's a huge, huge, huge place. And I think that's what this means when Jesus, rightly translated by a New American Standard, says, since I have forgiven my neighbor's debts. It's then, here's what God's trying to tell us. You maintain a disposition that is keeps really bad records as far as who done you wrong. Does the Bible address that? Yeah. There's nothing the Bible doesn't address. 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not keep a list of wrongs. I tell you, 33 years ago on a Friday... Don't bother to go ask God to overlook stuff on you if that's the disposition you've got. That's precisely what Jesus is saying. Unless you come to me with a bent to just, ah, big deal. I'm going to go on, treat him fine, leave it alone. Let it go. Give it to God. Keep moving ahead. With that kind of disposition, he said, now, you can ask me, forgive me my debts, and I'll forgive you. But if you've got a list that's coiled up, you know, like the roll of paper in a calculator, old-time paper calculator, said, don't bother. I won't forgive you, he said, if you don't forgive those that you think have wronged you. That's a, that is a stinging and a probing kind of requirement Jesus gives us. Don't even bother asking me until you have that kind of a heart. Finally, <clears throat> protection. This prayer 
can also be really misunderstood, this petition. Do not lead us into temptation. Now, the word, I don't know why, the, the word is, it can mean temptation, but also equally is translated as trial, affliction, testing. It is, we know this, James said, God never tempts anybody with sin. So one way we can't. You know what the most important, there's two things that are important about interpreting Scripture. One, it's, it's just as important what a verse can't mean as it is what does it mean. It can't mean that God figures a way to, like a cattle shoot, get me into a place where I'm going to be tempted. He doesn't do that. James says God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt ever. He doesn't tempt us with sin. This better then is translated that do not shield us. If it be your will, shield us from searing, crushing tests, tribulations, afflictions, circumstances that would press me down. Now, does God always answer that prayer? No. Is it a good prayer to pray? Can you think of anybody who prayed that? Yeah. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's praying. If it's possible, don't... And the word lead also equally means permit, allow. Father, if it's possible, stop this. Do not permit me to come into this. But right on the heels of that is, nevertheless, not my will, my wish, but thine be done. So it is not a bad prayer to pray, Lord, spare me. If I don't have to go through that, let me off the hook. But if he does choose to not answer the prayer, and I am tested, and I am tried like Job, God always gives me the grace to endure it, to triumph in it, to, to remain standing. I must appropriate, the, appropriate that grace. If I do collapse, it's a result of my own failure to acquiesce and reconcile myself to what it is God did, did permit. He permits things we pray that He not give us. But if He does, then we have to like Jesus, nevertheless, not my choice, but thine be done. Grant me the grace to go through what you've decided is okay, but you will carry me through it. So that's what that word means. It doesn't mean that God is going around looking for ways to lead us into some way to be tempted to sin. It's the crushing tests and tribulations of life, and sometimes purely satanic. Peter is that peculiar phrase that Jesus said to Peter in 
Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan, literally, Satan has earnestly desired and obtained permission to put you through the sieve. But I've prayed for you that you would not faint, that your faith would not be eclipsed, blotted out. Even though he denied, his faith wasn't blotted out. He immediately repented. God forgave him. Wrote it down for all of us to read. But went on. So lead us not into temptation. He's talking about trials, testings that, that are heavy on us. And it is normal to wish to avoid them. But sometimes we don't. Second, we have to remember this. I tell you, I prayed and God didn't help me and I still had to go through it. You don't know what you, you didn't go through that you didn't know about. You understand me? I don't know what he kept from me even knowing about. I had to sense or half figure, Lord, we're heading into some rough days here. I don't want to have to go through this. I have to know it's impending before I can even pray that. How much does God blot out and keep away and just say, no, I'm not going to let him go through that that I don't even ever know about till we get to heaven. Well, <clears throat> I better quit. Except the last phrase. Delivers from evil. The word deliver is to completely set free, so forth to rescue. But here's one last word that's important. The word evil here has the article, meaning the word the. Deliver me from the. Not just evil generally. Everybody believes, and I think it's correct. Deliver me from the evil one. Satan is stronger than I am. That's why we're not to rebuke Satan. I have, there's another whole message I suppose we could talk about. The people that go around barking at the devil, you know, that they're, I bind you, Satan. Listen, he gets up off. He falls on his back laughing when he hears that. I have to hide behind Jesus and let my big brother, Jesus, take care of the schoolyard bully. I can't do it. So he said, we don't rebuke him, but we say the Lord rebuke you. Jude. So, the evil one, Jesus has control. We know he's on the loose, but he does have a leash. God drew lines with Job. Okay, you can do this, but don't you do that. You, you can touch his skin his body, but you can't take his life. God allows some things, but he's still utterly in control. So the prayer here is, Lord, keep us from the devil, which there recognizes, I can't do that. I can't do it on my own. I need God. Well, I also need to quit. So, Dan, if you will dismiss us with prayer, this, we know, what a blessed prayer. May the spirit of it be what we pray when we approach God's throne.